This is the People Make Things podcast, a behind-the-scenes look at the modern entertainment industry. I'm your host, Christopher Natsume. I'm a game developer, I'm a podcaster, I'm a live streamer, and I'm also an entrepreneur. The internet knows me a little bit better as Night Squirrels. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm going to get right into it today. I took a trip recently, and I want to tell you about my trip. And I, I'm not sure if I can do this all in one podcast. I may have to do two. We'll see how this goes. But I had a lot of experiences that I wanted to share with you. So the, the trip was, I went to the Tehran Game Convention, which was held, you know, obviously in Tehran, which uh, is the capital of Iran. Now, those of you who know me know I'm actually an American, and recently in America, we have actually put a ban on travelers from a number of countries, one of those countries being Iran. And when I got the invite to come to the convention, I, I thought about it, and actually I got the invite way back in the past, and it was actually when we were very first started, you know, when, when Trump started talking about this uh, ban on travelers, and I actually... I don't have a lot of business in Iran. It wasn't like I thought to myself, I'm going to go to Iran, I'm going to make a whole lot of money, you know, selling things to Iranians. That wasn't my reason for going. I I got the invite and I thought, well, that's a part of the world I don't know anything about. I I've, I've never actually, you know, I've traveled, I've been to something like 26 countries, but I've never been to the Middle East and I certainly haven't been to Iran before. And I thought, well, here's a chance for me to go and not just go to Iran and look around, but to go with the invite of you know, government organization and, you know, go see what's going on and, you know, be involved in the culture a little bit and look at my industry, the game development industry there in Tehran. I thought, what an interesting opportunity. And it was while I was kind of throwing around whether or not it was worth going or not that I found out that we were going to not let Iranians come to America. And the little part of me that likes to tell people, fuck you, you don't get to tell me what to do, um, was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to Iran. And so I wrote him back and said, yeah, I'm going to go. And and we, we organized the trip. And it wasn't until I actually had, you know, signed up for everything and, and, and said I'm going to go that I, I started really thinking about, you know, wow, is it is it really smart for an American in the current political climate to go to Iran? And what's funny is I've been to a lot of countries, a lot of different places, and it wasn't actually the thought of going to Iran that scared me. I'm I'm reasonably certain I'm going to be okay in Iran. I, I I wasn't worried about that part of it. I was worried about two things. One, I was worried that with the current thing going on between America and Iran, maybe the Iranian government would get pissy and say, hey, you can't come in. And maybe I was going to fly all the way to Tehran and get to customs and have them tell me, oh, we've looked at your visa and it's not cool and you got to go home. Uh, just for the record, that didn't happen. And we'll get back to that. Uh, but my other worry is still out there. I'm, I'm actually recording this since then. I've come back to Japan where I live. And I haven't gone to America yet. I'm actually planning a trip to America next week. And I'm very curious how that plays out because I now have this, you know, huge Iranian visa in my passport. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm an American citizen. they got to let me in. But I'm curious how much, you know, issues I'm going to have. People tell me it's not going to be that big an issue. But those were my only real worries about going to Iran. I, I wasn't really scared about the country or anything like that. And as you'll hear later, I, I certainly had no reason to be. So um, I have so many stories. I, I don't know, you know, like I, I want to come back from Iran and tell you I learned this and I learned that. And let me come to the point. I don't really. The big thing that I can tell you about going to Iran for 
you know, six days is six days is not nearly long enough to go to Iran and understand anything about Iran. And that's something that I think goes beyond just this question. I think one of the one of the faults that we have is we go somewhere and we go there in our own little bubble. And that bubble can be, you know, the tour group that you're with or the friends that you're traveling with or the expectations that you have when you go there or the kind of trip that, you know, if if I wanted to go to Paris and only see the ugly, nasty, grungy, ugly side of Paris, you know, and go to like the worst slums and see, ah, this is what happens when a socialist government is in charge. I could do that. I could take that trip to Paris. Or I could take a trip to Paris where I thought, you know, this is the most beautiful place on earth and it's going to be wonderful. I'm going to go to the Louvre and I'm going to go to all these and I'm going to come back and I'm going to say it's the most culturally beautiful place in the world and we should all be like Paris. Either one of those trips are equally feasible and depending on what you want to see. And and living in Japan, I think I see this more than anyone else because Japan, more than any country I can think of in the developed world, is a country that comes with a mystique. There's so many people that want to come to Japan, and I I see them come to Japan, and they come to Japan with this expectation of what they're going to see. And it's a very different expectation for different people. You know, some people come, and they're coming here for business, and what they have in their minds is the Japanese salaryman and the business work ethic, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to have, you know, drinking parties, and it's going to be this Japanese business thing, and it's going to be just like that gung-ho movie with, what's his name, the the actor that was in Beetlejuice. I forgot his name, that guy. It's going to be just like that, but different. And you know what? If you want to come to Japan and you want to see that, that's here. You can do that. There are other people that come to Japan and they're the biggest weebs in the world and all they want to see is anime and manga and they want to go to the robot bar and they want to go to Akihabara and they come and and they come with these blinders on where they think of Japan as the capital of geek culture and the capital of video gaming culture and they come and they look for that and they see it and they go back and they report and they say, yeah, that's what Japan was like. No, no, it's not like that at all. Most of Japan is not like that. The vast majority of Japan has nothing to do with any of that. But if you come here looking for it, you will find it and you will go home and you will say that's what you saw. And so I went to Iran knowing this. I went to Iran knowing that there's always going to be this problem of finding what you're looking for. And interestingly enough, I have no interest in Iran. I have no interest in the Middle East. I don't mean that in a negative sense. It just hasn't shown up on my radar of shit to think about. And so I I really knew very little about Iran other than the fact that apparently I'm supposed to hate them. You know, I I can remember the George Bush and the axis of evil and, you know, on TV, hey, they're building nuclear weapons. And, oh, there was the hostage crisis back. You know, nobody remembers the hostage crisis because it was in the Carter administration. But, yeah, it was it happened, you know, and I, I can remember growing up hearing about it. So, you know, I don't really have any good impressions of Iran. I don't I just have some sort of random non-impressions of the place. So I went there sort of open-minded without this uh, sort of goggles already on. And it was interesting because I think I had two immediate sort of before I got to the country impressions of the country. I want to share them both with you because they were both interesting and I think both enlightening. And And the first one I had to get a visa, and uh, because I live here in Tokyo, I went down to the embassy in Tokyo. There's Unlike most Americans, I can actually go to an Iranian uh, embassy, because I have one here in Tokyo. So I went down to the Iranian embassy in Tokyo, and I showed up. It's a very small embassy. You walk in, there's only like three windows and, and one waiting room, It's you know, and which is totally different. If you've ever gone to an American embassy in Tokyo, right, to get into the American embassy in Tokyo, first of all, they have the entire block 
cordoned off with cops and stuff. So even before you get near the embassy, they ask you questions about where you're going. Are you going to the embassy? You can walk on this side of the road or the other side of the road. There's big, huge, you know, military vans waiting for you and, and lots of Japanese cops making sure you're in the right place. And then you have to go through like the entrance gate and to get in the entrance gate, there's like a big, huge, long line and you have to go through a metal detector and there's a, a guy, you know, I'll oh, take out your stuff and blah, 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 yelling at you. And so then once you get through the gate, then you get into the compound, and then when you're in the compound, there's another building in the compound. You got to get in line again. You got to wait to get through the second metal detector to get into the compound. They, they confiscate your cell phones and all this other stuff. You're not allowed to have a cell phone on you when you go. It's a crazy nightmare to get in the American embassy. To get into the Iranian embassy, you open the door and walk in, and that was it. That was the uh, that was the process of getting into the Iranian embassy. Open door, walk in, and when you get there, there's there's three kind of windows, and they look like those bank teller windows that are you know, the big, tall, bulletproof glass, and they've got the little you know, little slot where you can put, you know, your documents in and hand them to the guy behind the bulletproof glass. And behind the bulletproof glass, there's, you know, three uh, Iranian gentlemen who, who work at the embassy. And there's no one else there except for me and one, I'm, I'm guessing, Iranian guy. And the Iranian guy looked really, really agitated. Something, something bad was going on in this dude's life, and he was sorting it out. And he was, you know, he's kind of pacing back and forth. He was obviously very agitated, and he went and he talked to one of the guys behind the glass. And, and he wasn't, he was obviously not angry at the guy behind the glass, but he was obviously agitated and was talking, you know, I don't speak Farsi, so I don't know what the hell they're talking about. But, you know, it was pretty clear from body language he was not in a good way. And, the guy behind the glass did possibly the most amazing, interesting thing I've ever seen a human being do at an embassy. The, the embassy worker walks up to the, the bulletproof glass, and where the little slot is to put your stuff in, he puts his hand in the slot and, and kind of holds his hand out, and the Iranian dude on the other side reaches over and puts his hand on the embassy worker's hand, and they just take a minute and stare into each other's eyes, and the Iranian embassy worker guy says something which I, I again I don't know what he said but it, it obviously looked like you know it's all going to be okay or we're going to sort through this whatever gave him some you know some consolation and they just sat there and held hands for a second and then the Iranian agitated guy pulls his hand back and and he puts his hand over his heart and kind of bows a little bit a, a gesture I noticed other people in Iran doing I've never seen before but it's sort of a, a thank you you know from my heart kind of gesture and and then with you know far less agitation walks out and i thought to myself in a million years i had never that had not been the experience i expected from an embassy not just the iranian embassy any embassy in the world i mean if you were to walk into the us embassy and stick your hand in that little slot i am reasonably certain you get shot or at the very least some alarms come on and your cavities get searched something bad is going to you don't put your hand in that slot and the idea that I would ever go into the American embassy, even as an American citizen, and have them say, you know, let's hold hands for a minute. Absolutely absurd. That thing would never, ever happen. So I, I was blown away. And I walked out of the embassy. And, and my experience, they didn't ask to hold my hand. Um, but I, I, to, to be fair, I was not agitated. And I didn't ask. I mean, maybe if I had wanted to hold their hands, that would have been an option. I don't know. Nobody held my hand. But they were very polite to me, very friendly. And I kept waiting for them to kind of give me the crap about, dude, you're an American. We're not allowed to come to your country. Why on earth do you think you should be able to come to our country? I kept waiting for them to have that. And instead, a very polite older gentleman asked me a couple questions about why I was going to Iran and then told me that he was certain I was going to have a wonderful time and he was really happy I was going there. And I, I walked out of the embassy after this thinking to myself, this is not, this certainly doesn't seem evil. 
I mean, and I'm, we're dealing with the, the government here, right? That's the government, and we've all decided the Iranian government is the axis of evil. I've been told that for a very long time, and I thought, well, not, that none of that seemed evil to me, and compared to my own embassy, that seemed pretty reasonable. So I, I came out of that experience with, with kind of feeling pretty good, and you know, I got ready to go to Iran, pack my stuff, got on, a, got on the plane, flew to Dubai, and then when I got to Dubai, I got on the, the final plane to go to Iran, and this was the first time that I think I really realized that I was going to Iran, I got on the plane and there were a lot of people on the plane um, who were wearing, I, I, I should know what it's called. I think it's Chador. I think it, I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but it's, it's a relatively conservative uh, Muslim garment that includes kind of a hood and, you know, it kind of goes down over your shoulders and your arms and it kind of go, it, it's, it's kind of a long, it, it doesn't go all the way to the, the floor it's not like a burqa or anything and your face is totally visible and some of your hair is visible but it it is a a relatively conservative garments as as garments go and i would say about half of the women on the plane were wearing such a garment and i I walked on and and remember i'm coming from dubai right where i I would just seen people walking around in burqas and stuff um and i i I was a little bit surprised because i had been told that women wore headscarves in iran and i had been expecting more just you know simple headscarves and there were there were about half of the women on the plane were wearing just kind of a simple headscarf to cover their hair but the other half were wearing you know what i thought were particularly conservative clothes and i was a little surprised by it and i went back and and this is the the second sort of experience that i had that that kind of woke me up to where i was going um i went back to my seat and there was a woman wearing one of these garments in my seat, and I had an, uh, you know, it, it was a plane that had four seats in the middle, and my seat was on the aisle of the middle four seats, and that's not a bad seat. It's an aisle seat, you know. I'll take the aisle seat. So I go, and there's, you know, there's a woman in my seat, and so I politely say, "I'm, excuse me, ma'am, I, I believe you're in my seat," and she looks at me and she says, "Well, actually, I know." But, and she points to one of the middle, middle seats, you know, the shit seat, the worst seat in the plane. And she says, and, and by the way, it was the only middle seat open. So there's four seats there. Only one of them is open and it's one of the two middle seats. And she says, um, I, I don't want to sit in that seat. So I was, uh, I was thinking you could sit in that seat. And I, I, at first I was stunned. I was like, I didn't know that was an option that when you don't like your seat, you could just sit in somebody else's seat and be like, oh uh, yeah, I didn't like that seat. So you can have it. I was I was a little little cheesed off actually uh, because I'm you know that doesn't seem right right and so I, I was like uh, yeah I don't want to sit in that seat either and then she turns she starts talking to the woman next to her in, in Farsi and they seem a little bit agitated and I'm I'm kind of like no move out of my seat woman and then I realize what's going on is the woman who's in the aisle seat was the younger of the two. And I believe she was probably younger and unmarried. And the other seat on the other side of the four seats had a dude in it. And essentially, she didn't want to sit next to a dude because, you know, it's pretty close conditions and, you know, Muslims and whatnot. And she didn't want to sit next to a dude. And she seemed to think that it was very reasonable for the older of the two of them to take the seat next to me, which would be the other middle seat, so that, you know, I wouldn't be next to the young woman. And the young woman would sit on the aisle where she didn't have to sit next to any dudes. And I... I kind of thought that might be it, and right, right about then, the the lady, the you know, the the steward. What, I'm not allowed to call them stewardesses anymore. They're, they're flight attendants. The flight attendant came over, and she was like, um, "Do you mind?" And I was kind of like, uh, "Yeah, I mind. I'm not. It's a you know, it's only a two hour flight, but dude, I'm not sitting in the middle." And she says, "Oh, there's this other seat over there on the aisle. Maybe you could take that other aisle seat." And at that point, I'm like, "Yeah, whatever. I'll take the other aisle seat." So I moved. And I took the other aisle seat, and I thought to myself, "Wow." 
that's kind of interesting that somebody can have a religion that lets them take my good seat from me in the airplane. That I had not expected that, and I was not happy with that. And and this the, and actually the story goes on. The, the, the funny bit is the story does continue. And I know that a lot of my stories are about airplanes, and I'm sorry, but they're funny stories. So anyway, I, I'm sitting there in the aisle seat, and the plane's all loaded. Everything's done. We've we've taken off. It's that one minute right after you take off where everyone takes their seatbelt off and they look for a better seat if there is a better seat in the plane. And I look behind me, and there's actually one row of three seats. And there's one dude sitting in the middle of the row of three seats. And I think to myself, okay, I'm packed into three seats with two other big, you know, burly guys. I could trade my aisle seat for that aisle seat back there. The guy in the middle could move to the window like a normal human being. And all four of us could have a seat with nobody sitting next to them. That's an option. As it is right now, there's three of us crammed into one row and one guy in a row of three all by himself. So I get up and I politely walk back and I I, I ask the guy, hey, do you mind if I share this row with you? And he gave me the most amazing answer. He says to me, uh, no, I'm using all three seats. I'm going to sleep. And I, again, I thought to myself, that's an option? That's a thing? I didn't know you could just... And this this guy didn't have an excuse. Now, Chador lady, she had an excuse. Maybe she had some religion and she didn't want to sit next to a big hairy dude. I, I get it, right? I don't like to sit next to hairy dudes either. But this dude was just being a dick. So anyway, I, I, I you know, and I thought about it later that... There must have been some better response for me than to just do what I did, which was sadly walk away and go sit in my aisle seat next to the other two big burly gentlemen. But anyway, that's the plane. So that was me before I got to Iran. And so I get to Iran and I'm a, I'm a little bit weirded out, right? I'm a, I'm a little bit, you know, the, the, the flight hasn't been a great flight for me. Um, and I'm, I'm a little like, wow, okay, there's some different cultural things going on. So I get to the airport and we get off the plane and... Right as I get off the plane, there's like four or five, um, they look like they're in military uniform, Iranian gentlemen. I, I think they were from the, you know, whatever whatever organization handles immigration in Iran. And they had sort of, you know, uniforms on. And they were standing literally right outside the door of the plane. Not even at the end of the jetway, but right as you walk outside the door. And they had a sign with my name on it. And they were like, uh, Mr. Natsume, can you come with us? And I was like, oh, shit. This, this is where the other shoe falls this is when everything goes bad right i mean I'm, I'm getting pulled off the plane by people in military uniforms they don't even let me go down the jetway right they open up the door right there at the at the end of the jetway and we go down the stairs onto the runway there's a big van down there and they're like uh you know you get in the van and i'm i'm now i'm i'm a little bit concerned shit i get in the van you know i get in the van and another guy comes in and he's like i need your i need the the ticket for your luggage and i'm like oh shit they're gonna search my luggage too what what have i done you know and i'm 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 a little bit worried. At this point, two or three other people who've been invited to the convention also get pulled over and I'm, I'm and put into the van. And, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's not so bad. Uh, maybe they're just going to give us the... And what ends up happening is this van drives to a special terminal, which is the commercially important people's terminal, where we are all seated in comfortable leather chairs. A person brings us treats, little snacks and cakes and, uh, and cold tea and... We get to wait comfortably and eat snacks and drink tea while they go through our passports because we're, we've been invited by the government. And when, when we're done, they bring my passport back to me on a little silver platter, a little, a little silver platter with my passport. Here you go, sir. And I thought to myself, holy shit, 
I'm never going to go through any country's immigration again. Between getting a visa and getting through immigration in Iran, they have raised the bar so high that every other country is going to seem like a third world country to me. I'm going to go back to America and I'm going to be pissed off. I'm going to be standing at the gate like, don't you understand I'm commercially important? I'm I'm important, damn it. Where's my silver platter of treats? And I'm going to be pissed off that they don't happen. So anyway, that's that was me getting to Iran. And I, I got to the hotel and, you know, uh, the, the short version of... The short version of the conference is that it was really good, and I met a lot of interesting people and had a lot of interesting experiences, but I don't want to talk too much about that because I'm actually going to be doing an interview with one of the gentlemen who organized the conference, and we're going to talk in a lot of detail about that. So I don't I don't want to step on my own shoes too much and, and start talking about that because we'll get back to that. So I want to keep this focused a little bit more just on the the social aspects of going to Iran and what Iran was like. And... You know, one of the first things I noticed, and you know, every day we, while we were at the conference, we we were treated like kings. We're absolutely treated like kings. But it was clear, um, you know, the conference was was funded partially, um, I think, largely by the the Iranian government. And so, obviously, the the Iranian government and Iranian ministries were involved. We had one of the ministers of, I believe, uh, entertainment and education came out to the conference. Uh, there was there was heavy heavy government involvement and. I guess the government, and and I, you know, I I don't want to guess as to why the government wanted to make sure that we were safe, and I, you know, you can put whatever aspect of safe that you want on that. It was safe from us doing something stupid and getting ourselves in trouble. Safe from somebody messing with us. So we weren't really allowed to like wander around too much. Um, you know, we 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 were treated real. It wasn't like a trip to North Korea where we were like it wasn't like that, but. There was a certain feeling of they kind of wanted to know where we are and where we're going. And for the record, as an American, I'm actually legally not allowed to travel in Iran by myself. Uh, by Iranian law, I have to be with an Iranian person at all times. And, and I think officially it has to be an Iranian guide. But the, the people there didn't seem to think that was important. But they wanted to make sure that I was with an Iranian all the time. So, uh, But that was for just Americans. And there were only like five Americans there. For the rest of the foreigners, they were free to go wander around and do stuff. And they did. But there was a feeling of, you know, when we're doing stuff as an organization, the kind of close eye was kept on us. And very soon in the trip, uh, we were given our sort of minder. And over time, I kind of kind of figured out that he was from, I, I guess, whatever Iran has that replaces the American Department of Homeland Security. And he was just sort of this big, bulky, quiet guy. He was very friendly. I, you know, I chatted with him a few times. He was very polite and nice to me. Um, but, you know... He was obviously uh, not supposed to be. He was supposed to be there and not be too seen. You know, I I thought he was a neat guy. And near the end of the trip, I said, you know, hey, do you mind if I get a selfie with you? And he was like, no, no, you may not get a selfie with me. Um, so I think he didn't want to show up in our pictures or anything. But he was a, he was a nice enough guy. Uh, but he was there all the time. You know, when we traveled, they put all of us in. You know, there were about fifty or sixty uh, foreigners who attended the conference as speakers, who were all, I believe, commercially important. And, you know, every time we went anywhere, all of us were loaded into vans at the same time. And it was it was like some sort of presidential, you know, uh, parade every time we went anywhere. You know, all five vans lined up in a row with a little emergency blinkers on, a little black car in the front with a couple security agents in it to make sure that, you know, people got out of our way and everything was cool. It was a... It was a surprising uh, thing. You know, we went uh, on one day, we went on a tour. We went to one palace in, I wish I could remember the name. It was very beautiful in downtown Tehran. And there's a big gate and the tour guide who uh, wasn't from the government, he was just a tour guide, 
who the the conference had gotten, you know, said, you know, usually we don't get to go through this gate. Usually the tours have to stop here and everybody has to walk like a half hour up to the palace. But apparently you guys are special and you get to drive right up to the doors of the palace. And so we drove right up to, you know, so it was, it was that kind of trip where we were always uh, kind of special. Um, and so while we were driving around, one of the things I noticed for people who come from Europe or Asia or other places and go to America, one of the things I always hear from them is, Wow, when you go to America, there sure are a lot of American flags, you know, and they're not, you know, if you if you walk around say Belgium, you know, if you go to a bank or something, there might be a Belgian flag up, but you don't see a Belgian flag on every street corner, but in America you see all these flags everywhere. And it was really interesting in Iran, it was the same thing. Everywhere you went, Iranian flags. This was a country that liked to put up some flags. The freeways had big sign poles all along them. They were just covered in Iranian flags. And usually if there were, you know, and when you reach some sort of maximum density of Iranian flags, there was also a picture of the Ayatollah. Um, or, you know, if there was room, a picture of the current and former Ayatollah. And and you got real used to seeing his face around. You know, when you walked into the convention, there was a big, huge poster of, you know, hey, here's your Ayatollah. Uh, every, the, the conference rooms that we spoke in had, you know, big Iranian flags and, you know, up above us, big, huge pictures of the, the Ayatollah. So he was always there. And you kind of had to get... It was, and it, it was weird because I don't know what to think of that. You know, I mean, it, it's their Ayatollah. It's their government. You want to put Ayatollah up, put Ayatollah up. I don't, I don't But But I wonder if you were just an average Iranian dude, would you always want to see that guy hanging around? All that? I, I couldn't figure that out or not. But it, but it made me think about America. And, you know, how often do you see American flags and American stuff? And it, it felt in many ways, you know, before I went, one of my friends told me, you know, one of the reasons Americans don't like Iran is Iran is so much like America. And that seems like an absurd statement. But actually, when you look into a little bit, there is some truth to that. The levels of sort of patriotism, the levels of, uh, I don't know, there, there was something about Iran that kind of reminded, it, it was almost like a like a bizarro uh, reverse America or something like that. But, but I want to talk a, a little bit about, and I, I think we're at 20 some odd minutes now, so I think I'm going to do two of these Iranian podcasts because I've got a whole lot more I want to talk about. But I want to talk about one thing that that really jumped out at me and made me really happy that I went to Iran. Um, I want to be very frank and forward and say every single Iranian person I encountered, including the security guard in charge of us, every single Iranian person I encountered was amazingly polite and amazingly friendly and amazingly welcoming. And I know some Americans listening to this are thinking, yeah, until they found out you were an American. No, no, the exact opposite. Right. When I told you, know, I, I think most people I, I looked it up before I went. There's something like uh, a couple million people go to Iran every year. Most of that couple million people who go to Iran are from neighboring countries. But um, of all the foreigners that of, of all that, you know, couple million people that go to Iran, only about fifteen hundred of them a year come from America. So your average Iranian dude doesn't see a lot of Americans walking around his town. It's not It's not a common occurrence for them. They do see foreigners. And when we were walking around, I saw no shortage of uh, what looked like European or Asian foreigners. They were certainly there, uh, at the tourist sites anyway. But I was actually a reasonable percentage of the number of Americans that are going to visit that country this year. Um, and in fact, I think the five you know, you can do the math of five out of 1500, whatever that is. We were a substantial portion of the foreigners or of the Americans that were going to be there this year. Whenever anyone found out that I was American, unfailably, without a hundred percent, and this was a number of people, the reaction was exactly the same. 
absolute delight. They were thrilled that we were there. They were like, oh my goodness, you're from America. And I would have thought, when I before I went, and, and to be fair, I think they have good reason for this. My, my thinking before I went to Iran was, every time I tell somebody I'm from America, they're going to want to talk about Trump, they're going to want to talk about America, they're going to want to talk about the travel ban, they're going to want to yell and scream at me about... And, and, I, and, and if they had, I would have taken it and I would have said, that's just what we get for being who we are and that's, you know, I, I deserve it. I'm, I'm, I go to their country, I'm just going to take it like a man. That's what I had gotten myself ready for. That is 100% absolutely not what happened. Every single person who found out that I was American was delighted that I was American, was delighted that I was there. And when we got beyond the, the basic pleasantries of, you know, what do you think of Iran? Are you having fun? Are you, are you know, Once we gotten past that, they all had, it seemed, one big goal in talking to an American. And that was they really wanted me to understand Iran. They really wanted to tell me about where they were from. They really wanted to tell me, I think you may think this about Iranians, but you need to understand that's not true. And, you know, there were a couple common themes. You need to understand that we're not an Arabic peoples, and, you know, we're not Arabic. You need to understand that they're, they're you know, that the, we speak a different language from Arabic peoples. You need to understand that we don't hate Americans, and we have nothing against Americans. I have one Iranian talk to me about, you know, you need to understand those those things you see on TV where we're burning flags and that sort of thing. Oh, we don't really do that. That's, that's not really a thing that, that's not important to us. Everyone there was genuinely concerned that I might dislike them and wanted to make sure that I was happy and that I was comfortable and that I left Iran with a better opinion of Iran than when I came. And this wasn't something that was like pushed on by the government. You know, I, one day we went and we walked down, we went to Isfahan, which is a beautiful city that I'll talk about more later. We went to this beautiful city of Isfahan. We walked down to the river, which was because of the dry season and the drought was totally dry. So we're sitting there looking at the dry riverbed and we had some people come over and say hi to us. And even those people who had nothing from the government, they were, they were just strangers in the street um, who came over and said hi to us and talked to us. When they found out I was an American... They were genuinely delighted to, and sadly their English wasn't so great, so they didn't stick around to talk too long, but you could tell they really wanted to stick around and talk to me. There were things they wanted to tell me. And I thought to myself, this is fucked up. How, how is it that there's this group of people out there in the world that want so badly to be understood by us, and we're doing everything that we can do to not understand them and to make them enemies and to make them somebody that we're not supposed to talk to. And I thought from that how happy I was that I had gone to Iran and how happy I was that I had been there and and how sad it was that we live in a world where other powers, be they the Iranian government or, you know, the, the revolutionary government of Iran or, or the, you know, the Republicans in America or uh, whoever, pick, pick your power. Um, there are people who seem to have this interest in convincing Iranians that uh, Americans are bad people and convincing Americans that Iranians are bad people. But I can tell you from my short experience, and I, again, to be careful, I, I had a very short, very brief experience and, and, and not one that went very deep into people who hate Americans. Um, that wasn't the case. I didn't go to a country that hated me. I didn't go to a country that seemed evil to me. I went to what looked like a relatively modern country full of what seemed to be relatively reasonable people who were genuinely delighted to see me and genuinely wanted me to have a good time and be comfortable in their country. And 
I've been to a lot of countries that, that we would call allies that have not been anywhere near that friendly. Trust me, I've been to France, I've been to Germany, and, and you know, if you think French people find out that you're an American and they're delighted and want to talk to you, uh, I have some bad news for you about France. It doesn't play out like that. Um, and in fact, we were with uh, a bunch of Europeans in the, the conference, and I did have hard talks about Trump, and I did have hard talks about the American government, and I did have people say some things that I actually thought were, were blown out of proportion or really un- unduly negative about my country. That was all said by Europeans. That was all said by French people and, and British people and people that weren't from Iran. The people from Iran were unflinchingly polite and kind and welcoming. Um, so that would, I didn't expect that. And, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not bitching about Europeans. I, I think most of what they said, they had some valid points. Um, but in terms of having to deal with people that didn't want me around, um, or people that didn't want America around, for instance, um, I didn't get that at all in Iran. And I, I, I want to, I want to close this by talking about another experience that I had. And I'm going to talk more about, I'm going to do another podcast about Iran because I had so many experiences and I, I promised I'd keep these podcasts short and I have more than a half hour's worth of stuff to talk about. But I was in Kiev in Ukraine. This was, oh, three, three years ago, something like that. And I grew up in America during the Cold War. I remember uh, that was the end of the Cold War. It was the 80s, uh, late 70s and 80s. And I can remember when I was a kid, uh, we were a little past the duck and cover days of the Cold War, but we were still in the, hey, let's go see Red Dawn and hear about how the Ruskies are going to take over Nebraska and, you know, Wolverines and all that. Like, the, I remember that part of, I remember being told that the Soviet Union was my enemy. And in fact, I believe I was, it was my first year of college or my last year of high school, something like that when the Berlin Wall came down and the Soviet Union ended. So for most of my childhood, there was a big evil Soviet Union that hated us. And we were told that the Soviet Union hated us. We were told that, you know, given the chance, these, these evil Soviets would come. They hate everything we are. They, uh, in George Bush's words later, they hate our freedom. Um, so I was in Kiev a few years ago. I was walking around Kiev and meeting Ukrainians and 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 I remember riding on the subway thinking to myself these people were the enemy we we were there was a time when we were seriously considering driving a bunch of tanks up through this place and killing people for what reason and and sure I know that sounds hopelessly naive and there's all kinds of political reasons why the Soviet Union was evil and they killed millions of people and yeah I get all of that but there was a time when a guy my age who was sitting right next to me on the subway there in Kiev and I might have gone to war and we might have killed each other for reasons I don't think either one of us could have clearly elucidated. And I had the same feeling. I was sitting, I remember I was sitting with a, with a couple of the other speakers. We were, we were having lunch in this great big huge uh, room. We had a beautiful lunch that was provided by the, the conference, surrounded by all these Iranians, most, you know, young indie devs and people that are trying to break in the industry and students, mostly young people, just this huge room full of happy young people. And I, I sat there thinking to myself, none of these people hate me. None of these people hate America. And Americans have no reason to hate these people. Now, they may have some problems with the government. They may have some problems. And maybe the government has some problems with the American government. And those are valid issues and they should be discussed. But these individuals, there's no reason that I can come up with. There's no sensical reason why these people should hate my people or my people should hate these people. And I I felt that when I was in Kiev and I felt it even stronger when I was in Iran. And I was so happy that I went. 
because I, I hear things. And, and you think, you know, oh, yeah, of course, this is all self-evident and obvious, Chris. But you hear people talk, oh, Iran wants this and Iran wants that and Iran has to be whatever and we have to... I can tell you from what I saw what, what Iran wants, if you're talking about average Iranian people, is they just want to be left the hell alone to sort their government out and they want to be left alone to raise their families and to do their shit. And, you know, maybe we should... We should look at ways that we could do that. And maybe we could take that beyond Iran and we'd do that in other places too. Because I I don't I don't see anything in this situation that makes any sense to me that there's anyone there that's worth hating in the general public. And and maybe there's somebody in their government that is absolutely worth hating, and they probably hate them too. That's not my job. It's not my job to hate them. But I I digress. Um I'm gonna call it here because I got a bunch of other stuff that I want to talk about, but I I wanna take the time to do it properly. I wanted to talk about those things and sort of showing up in Iran and being in Iran. Um, I hope this is interesting to you guys. If you have any questions or anything that you want me to answer about Iran, I'm happy to do that. Let me know, um, and I'll answer them in the, the, the later podcasts and other things that we're doing. I also want to mention that I will be doing some interviews. I have an interview with one of the people that organized the show in Iran. I also have some interviews coming up with some Iranian developers and publishers about the business of games in Iran. So I hope for those of you who... I hope you guys are interested in Iran because over the next month or so, there's going to be a surprising amount of Iran on this show. Um, So get yourself prepared for that. If you're liking the show, if you're liking what's happening, you know what to do. Go to the iTunes, give us the likes, give us the stars. If you think this is interesting or if you think this is wrong and you want somebody to yell at me, there's a Discord link there on Podbean. Let me know and, you know, come to the Discord. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you want to know. Tell me what you don't like. And, you know, if you think this is interesting, share it with your friends. Put it on your Facebooks and your Twitters and your Grinders and your whatever and let people know that we're out here doing this thing and I'll keep making more of these and I'll be talking more about Iran in the next episode. Thank you.